Across Global, sparking innovative thoughts. As we start the new year of 2022, definitely the question is, where are we heading towards? Uh, how are companies going to approach uh, their business strategies? How can they grow, but at the same time, have a positive impact into the environment and the world. And so we're, we're going to talk about the concept of net positive approach, a new way of doing business and creating sustainable strategy. And uh, I'm Shawarat Yongji, owner Poupay, a global content editor at Texas Media. And today joining me is Andrew Winston, the manager of Winston Eco Strategies of LLC. Uh, he is known as the expert on megatrends and how to build companies uh, having gained a lot of success with his latest uh, book, Net Positive, How Courageous Companies Thrive by Giving More Than They Take, which is co-authored by CEO uh, Paul Pullman. Hello, or should I say Swatika Andrew? Hello, good to see you. <laughs> I'm so happy to be able to talk to you across the borders as you are in the United States and I'm here in Thailand. Um, first off, uh, can you talk a little bit about your background for those who might not be so familiar with your work here in Southeast Asia and and, and briefly about the net positive approach? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, this, with, since the pandemic, we've all been able to travel the world, you know, virtually. So I've had the opportunity to do a lot of these kinds of conversations, and it's great to to be able to speak to people in Thailand. So my background is in business. I, I came out of uh, school with an economics degree and worked at Boston Consulting Group. That was my first job as a consultant, and I did strategy and and biz dev kind of jobs, regular you know regular jobs in companies, and then kind of had a value shift about 20 years ago and, and decided to pursue an interest and passion and really how the world worked and how companies interact with the natural world and with society. And so I've spent, you know, 20 years writing books, working with companies directly, speaking around the world, advising companies, doing, you know, doing work with companies in many different ways to help them understand the really big trends, to understand why they're feeling so much pressure now to manage um, and improve their environmental and social impacts. Um, and my new book, the latest one is Net Positive with Paul Pullman, who was the CEO of Unilever um, for, for a decade. And the case that we make is that we need to move much faster than we have been, that companies have been improving, but it's not fast enough given what we're facing, the science that we face, mm -hmm. um, and that we need to build companies that serve the world, that profit by solving the world's problems, not by causing them. Uh, there are definitely challenges that we've seen in the past for the corporate side and also everybody else in terms of the big stakeholders into how can we uh, navigate the, the the world of consumerism and and uh, and at the same time have a positive impact. We've had, of course, a very life-changing time in the past two years with um, COVID-19, uh, you know, accelerating a lot of change. Uh, but as you said, the, you know, the uptake in terms of how companies have have worked towards changing the way they work and, and, and bringing about out a positive impact might be slow. Um, has there been a, a difference in the speed in how companies have changed in the recent couple of years? Absolutely. I think the last two or three years, there's been more change in what's expected of companies and the the pressure they feel and the the different areas they feel they need to 
have a stance or have a position on. Um, there's been more change in the last few years than in the 20 years before it. Uh, and I, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think the pandemic did focus companies. They were, they were pushed to do what was right at times and not worry as much about what, what it costs, you know, uh, immediately. And there were social movements that built racial and gender social movements that built during this time, but also the, the kind of mega trends that I've been studying and talking about for years in particular, things like climate change and inequality, they've gotten worse and they've accelerated and, and companies aren't really debating anymore, whether there's a climate change problem. Um, we finally kind of moved past the first step of getting everyone to be talking about this and understanding it. Um, so there's much more happening than ever before, but at the same time, it's not really fast enough yet. And, mm -hmm. and so it's a kind of mixed feeling if you're working in this field, because you see the progress and, and mm -hmm. companies are doing more and more, but the science, the, the horizon we're shooting for, what we're trying to solve is, is getting harder, right? It's moving away from us. So it's a, it's kind of a mixed emotion, uh, in this, in this field. Could you say maybe perhaps, I mean, I just wanted to follow up on this, this, this issue is like perhaps maybe it's because we've created or built such a system that is ingrained in our society and ingrained in the way things that are have been done. I mean, I would think perhaps, you know, in terms of my my talks to experts about smart city building, uh, sometimes, you know, old cities or or cities where they've already developed at a certain level, it's hard for them to shift. It's hard for them to pivot and change the way things that they've been doing versus like if you were to start like just a new, uh, you know, with a clean slate. Uh, do you think that that's one of the, the big biggest challenges in terms of how uh, companies are are kind of lagging behind in, in terms of um, responding to to the concerns of, of the public and, and responding to what uh, people want to be changed. Look, I think big companies have always had their their pros and cons. Mm -hmm. You know, the scale and the resources they have means that they can have a, a big impact for for good or, or bad. But they also don't move that quickly. And and I think innovation and change, it almost always comes from smaller companies. Um, mm -hmm. And the big ones help those companies accelerate, or they buy them, or you know, they kind of bring them into the into the fold. So yes, I think that there's inertia, right? There's tremendous inertia, but there's an underlying problem that you're that you're getting at, which is the the kind of story that we've all been told about the purpose of business is, um, you know, for about 40, 50 years has been very clearly shareholder value, short-term shareholder value. And, and it's, it's become almost unquestioned that that's the only purpose of a business. And it's, a, it's actually a very strange definition of a purpose, right? Because mm -hmm. there's many ways you could make money. And the question is, what are you doing to make that money? What is the thing you do for a customer? What's the problem you solve in the world? That's the real purpose of any business is to solve some problem or provide mm -hmm. something to people and then make money because they do that well, right? And we've kind of gotten switched on this. And when you only put profits first, it, you make poor decisions, especially for the long run. You don't invest for the long run. And we're seeing that, at the, I think, at the company level, but really at the society and, and economy level. We're not investing for the future and dealing with our longer term problems because everything's about kind of right now, this quarter. And we're going to have to move away from that story and into a much better one that's more humane and brings everyone along um, into a thriving future. It's scary. It's scary, especially when you see a lot of stories nowadays in terms of 
for example, the other day, I, I heard about fast fashion where it's still a big problem, um, you know, and, and countries are dealing with how to, you know, dispose of, of, of the excess of, of, of our culture. Um, let's go into corporate responsibility then. You know, you've been in the business for quite a, a, a while now and, and you've said that there has been change. Um, yeah. How has the word or the nature of corporate responsibility evolved? Well, I think we've been through different phases and all companies kind of go through a progression. And I think corporate social responsibility was needed, you know, when it probably got started 30, 40 years ago, just to say to companies, you do have a responsibility to society in, in a very basic level, but it's, it's been used mainly in some senses, like a philanthropic thing, you know, companies mm -hmm. doing good. Um, and what's evolved is a, a deeper understanding of what, what people have called sustainability People are now calling things ESG or environmental, social, and governance, um, which I don't think is a very helpful acronym, but it's become very common. But it's, you know, companies go through this progression where they they realize, you know, this philanthropic approach is pretty narrow and doesn't really achieve very much. Um, and companies should be philanthropic, just like we all should be as, as humans, but it doesn't really get much done that the real value is in using your business, using your products and services to solve the world's problems and do that profitably and use the tools of economics and markets and competition to do that well and, and to profit doing it. That, that's a much bigger impact than just mm -hmm. throwing some money at some charities or you know doing a tree planting day once mm -hmm. a year, that it's really about what the company does, um, you know, where its resources go, where it spends its money, what it has its people doing for the world. And that's where the, the, the scale of impact really grows. It's, it's quite as a lot of things in life, easy to say, but hard, hard to do in terms of, 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 I, I think a lot of, uh, of, of good companies when they start out startups as well, uh, you know, who might be listening to this podcast, you know, you start up with something that's, it's quite pure, you know, you want to solve a problem, but at the end of the day, you do have to run a business. Um, many companies are working towards being less quote bad uh, in, in, in terms of reducing what they create. Um, but how can they do it? So let's, let's talk about the, how, what, let's talk about your vision of the future in, in terms of net positive, what is net positive? Yeah. So, I mean, just to quickly answer your point about, um, you know, they have to run a business. Well, sure. But if you think about the fast fashion example you gave or the food business where we're throwing mm. out 40% of food, that's a waste, right? That's not economic, yeah. right? For everyone, yeah. for there to be that much waste in a system. So that's always kind of business opportunity to become leaner, to become more eco-efficient at the, at the very least. So the, the net positive approach is, you know, we ask a kind of fundamental question, which is, is the world better off because your business is in it? And if you can answer that as a yes, then you're really doing something, right? Because most companies, I don't think can answer that as a yes yet. I think there's parts of businesses that are that are in the right place that are going at the right speed. But for the most part, it's, it's a difficult task. As you said, it's hard. So a net positive business is one that improves the well-being of everyone that they touch, every stakeholder, their employees, their consumers and customers, the communities they operate in, their suppliers, and, and on and on. And they do that through everything they do. They're every, every product, every service, every factory, every country they operate in. Now, this is a North Star. This is kind of a mission. Um, mm -hmm. Again, nobody's nobody's really there yet, but we're there's a lot of companies on the way and and doing it in parts of their business. So to make this happen, um, you know, and that's really what the whole book is about is kind of going through these 
these major categories of, of how do you do this? How do you become a company like this? It starts with purpose. It starts with your own personal vision and purpose for what are you doing here on the planet? What are you doing at work? What do you care about? And then bringing that to the organization and starts from meaning and then builds from there to thinking in, in bigger ways about the impact of the business, taking ownership for the impacts you have more broadly, building trust and transparency with the world, and then getting to a place where you can form real partnerships and collaborations. And that's really the heart of the book is, is collaborations with your peers and competitors, with your employees, with your suppliers, with governments and, and civil society to solve the bigger problems together and make business better, but together. And that's the only way we'll get to scale. I, I just wanted to follow up on, on that as well in terms of what we've talked about fast fashion and everything in case we we don't get to come back to this um you know it's interesting because it is a really important relationship that we're seeing between uh, the corporate side the private side and the consumers or the market uh we've seen as you mentioned um the the market or or the consumers trying to um lead the the private sector to positive impact uh but what if it's the other way around in terms of how uh the market is so used to consuming like for example fast fashion in such a speed and in such a vast amount of uh, consumption how how can the corporate shift the behavior of, of the market that might have already gone to a point where I don't know how you're going to bring them back. <laughs> Actually in the past, we have been successful, right? We've seen success in changing our, our behavior as well. It's hard, right? Changing behavior is really difficult. Um, there have been some success stories, right? I think we've, um, you know, some, but sometimes, and often it comes with some level of, of, government intervention, some mandate, right? We've gotten safer about driving because there's been rules about, you know, seatbelts and, and airbags and the kinds of things that companies need to do. And then they innovate and create much safer vehicles, right? So there's, there's things that have improved. If you take a look kind of at the macro numbers of the world and the number of people um, in dire poverty, for example, there's, Mm -hmm. there's more than there used to be because the population is so much bigger, but the percentages drop. There's actually fewer people in dire poverty than there was before. So there's been growth. There's been some improvement in the world. But, you know, a lot of that gain has come at the cost of our natural world. And the and the and the natural world isn't something that we just go visit for fun. It's actually what supports our existence, right? It isn't, mm-hmm. it isn't a disconnected thing. So there's, you know, there's this need to kind of see the connections in all this and and how how much what we do in one place affects what we do in others. So the problem that you're kind of getting at is that, you know, businesses have been built around growth at all costs. And, and that means convincing people to consume more and more stuff. And there is a tension here because it's been shown pretty repeatedly that more and more stuff isn't what makes people happy past a certain point, right? Past the point of having enough, you know, having mm-hmm. enough for their family, mm-hmm. their kids having opportunities to go to school and grow and more stuff doesn't actually make people happier generally. So there is a disconnect. I think we have to face that. And we talk kind of at the end of the book about the really big kind of global and societal challenges that we all have to kind of deal with together. And that includes consumption. And where does consumption need to get controlled? Probably in the richer countries, while allowing the billion or 2 billion people that need to come out of poverty to use more, right? To use yeah. more stuff, but still stay within the, the limits of the planet. It's, it's a challenge. Um, but it means we have to do a lot of things at once, right? We have to 
make the economy much cleaner. We have to get more circular in how we use products. So we reuse it, don't waste as much um, and provide some of the quality of life to people with a smaller footprint. So a village that has no power should get solar and wind, not, not a diesel, you know, engine and not plug into the grid. I mean, that's what we're going to, we're going to see is kind of a leapfrog to cleaner technology. So we can grow without as much impact. And that's the kind of decoupling that we need so that we can get there. Excellent. I know you talked about how there have been many terms uh, coming into in terms of corporate responsibility. You've seen terms like by compliance to beyond compliance from now, of course, net zero to net positive. What what would be the next thing to come? Do you think? Well, I'm hoping and I believe net positive is is a very broad term. We we chose it, you know, on purpose to be understandable, right? That's kind of part of selling something is people to kind of get a sense of, okay, doing what I do, does it have a positive impact? The other words that you're hearing a lot now and and that are equivalent, they're very similar is, is regenerative, you know, something that kind of heals and improves uh, restorative, which is similar. I, I think that's, that's all where we're headed. Net positive and regenerative are, are very, very similar. I mean, they're essentially the same thing. Um, you know, what it means is again that we're recognizing where we've caused damage to the environment and to society and we're not just kind of reducing our damage to zero we're we're trying to fix it we're trying to make the system healthier um, and make people healthier right so imagine there's you know more products in the world that make you healthier instead of ones that end up you know producing pollution and make you unhealthy and mm-hmm. and there's you know not plastics in our system down the road because we stop making things that accumulate in our bodies this is where we're headed and we have to um but i think it's you know whatever the term is we're going to see more and more partnership and collaboration we have to there's there's really no way to solve these problems they're too big there's no mm-hmm. company big enough to tackle these things alone, no country big enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be kind of often global efforts. You, you've written about the term blowing up boundaries. Uh, what does that mean? Well, we talk about it in a kind of men, you know mental boundaries that, you know, when you start by getting your purpose together, kind of getting your own house in order, you then need to start setting kind of more aggressive goals for what your business is going to do. And there's a huge growth in that, right? There's a quarter of the world's largest companies now have science-based targets, um, which means they're, they, they've committed to cut carbon at the pace that science demands, not just what they think they can do. Uh, and that's a good example of what we're talking about. The boundary is kind of both the boundaries of the business itself, what people call the four walls, like just operating in your own factory, your own business, and thinking, what do we have to do for our part in the larger kind of outside-in um, thinking of the problems and thresholds in the world, you know, that's blowing up a boundary, but it's a mental boundary really. And when you start Mm -hmm. thinking bigger, you start thinking about your whole supply chain, your whole value chain and realize that, you know, just saying, I want to have uh, zero waste in my factory is great. But if you don't start talking to suppliers and even customers, it's going to be really hard to do, right? You need the whole system so that suppliers are sending you things that can be recycled, you know, that are in packaging that can be recycled. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's a partnership and it's, it has to be. And that's what we mean. You, you, you take the boundaries of the physical space and the mental space and kind of just blow them out and say, think bigger, think outside in. Working together because you can't do it alone. Um, right. But you know, talking about doing it uh, and, 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 and actually getting things done, um, 
often, as you said, or I said, oh, you know, companies, they reach a point where they think, okay, we have to run a business. <laughs> we yeah. have to operate. We need money. Uh, and, and they might think we can't afford sustainability. Uh, how should they go about investing and, and spending money? Well, you use the right word there, which is invest. I mean, the, the, the question you just asked, which is, you know, how can they afford sustainability? I've, I think I've gotten in every interview for 20 years, like, and I've done a lot, a lot in podcasts and writing. And, um, and it's always the same question because it goes back to that story I was talking about where the purpose of a business is maximizing shareholder value. So if you have some other thing you're trying to do, it must be drawing you away from the core purpose. It must be hurting the business, which is kind of ludicrous, really. I mean, there's, there are many things that fall under the sustainability name that clearly save money, right? Like getting more efficient in your business. Um, mm -hmm. There's things that are called innovation, right? You create products um, that are more sustainable, that satisfy your customers, that help your business customers or consumers be more sustainable in their operations and their lives. That's innovation that's worth investing in. So the word is invest, not spend. And the reality is everything in business is an investment. You know, every if you're going to do marketing, you're going to do R&D, you're going to invest in your people, it's an investment. It's only when we talk about sustainability do people say it's an expense, right? Mm, it's like yeah. they, they don't <laughs> yeah. they don't they don't as naturally see <laughs> the return, right? But when you put it in normal business terms, which is well you're going to innovate to solve sustainability problems, it's innovation. You know, you're going to attract and retain the best people because of what you're doing on sustainability. That's a value to the business, right? So it's it's normal business value. It just comes through thinking differently um, and thinking about the problems you're trying to solve. So it is an investment, right? There are going to be investments. Um, and like with all capital investments, you have to make decisions about, you know, where you think the, the best payback is going to be. But I would just say that we've become so short-sighted that, that we don't invest in the long run. And in, and in the end, that's that's bad for the business and and for the economy. Would you say that it's a short term or long term that we're looking at? Because it's kind of tricky, especially when you're talking about um, nowadays where there's startups, there's tech, there's innovation and and the timeline for testing out something shortens very fast, you know, like from like years to like months. Um, how should, now th th this leads to my next question, how should personal leadership look like then? Um, what do net positive leaders look like? How should they view their strategy thinking and 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 approach this? Well, look, the, the best leaders have always been, you know, people who can balance lots of different demands and balance the short and long-term, right? There, there's always gonna be, of course you have a short-term need, to have profit, to have cash flows, um, to have the leeway to do things for the longer haul. Um, we believe that you know the core of what a net positive leader looks like is is really around um, being more humane, being human, bringing yourself to work, and having having a purpose personally, having empathy um, and compassion, having humility. Um, it actually takes a lot of humility to say to the world you know, we want to cut carbon by 50% and we don't know how, you know, and we need help from, from NGOs or from our customers, from our suppliers that, that we don't know the answer. And that's what most companies are doing that when they set these really big goals, they don't know exactly how to get there. And they're being open about that and transparent. And that takes both humility, but also, you know, what's the core principle of a net positive leader, which is courage. You need the courage to say, I'm going to push back on this quarterly pressure 
I'm going to build my business for the for the long run. Um, and I'm going to work with competitors and work with the government and work with you know people I'm not always comfortable with to get to better outcomes. That takes courage to push back um, on the story. You know, there's peer pressure. It's not just when you're a kid yeah. in high school. Yeah. CEO, everyone, CEOs feel peer pressure, right? Um, I see it now being out in the world again as there's more and more meetings that are in person. And there's clearly kind of peer pressure about whether you're wearing mask or not, you know, some, you know, and like, there's this kind of group think about it, even with all, you know, middle-aged people who are supposed to be independent thinkers. So yeah. I think there's a lot of kind of group think within companies and leadership, and you need the courage to kind of say, what's the right thing to do here for the business and, and for the world. I, I like how you said that. And, and I think it's really good in terms of how people can imagine you know, what the challenges are and, and how we are, in fact, just all humans um, at all different levels of leadership. Uh, but, you know, from the corporate side, now that you say that, okay, let, let's say, for example, your corporate, your, your private sector, you want to change. Of course, as you said, things can't be done without partnership. Uh, things need collaboration. Uh, let's talk, take a look at the different leadership in the United States now. Yeah. Uh, there have been a lot of multiple global meetings this year, like the climate conference. Um, what does it look like now and, and how how does it affect business? Look, the previous um, president and administration didn't believe in climate change, actually said it was maybe a hoax. It was yeah. an attack from China um, and they pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Accord. So to say there's a difference between the last one and this one is, is you know, an understatement. There's clearly an enormous difference. The U.S. is having trouble passing the legislation now to build back better bill that would have a lot of spending on on climate uh, because the politics and because there's not enough people who want to act on climate change. But those bills are not the only way that governments impact. You know, the this government and the cabinet, they all talk about climate change. You know, the, the, the head of the Federal Reserve, the Treasury Secretary, Secretary of Defense, they've all been talking about it since they took office. And that's a huge difference. And I think it really matters for sending the message across the government, across the world, that that we are serious. Um, you know, the challenge, obviously, is that the power can change hands again. Um, and the U.S. has become a very unstable democracy, which I never thought I'd say in my lifetime. But it's it's true. And it's um, the country is in a lot of trouble. And mm -hmm. we could easily easily be going back to people who not only don't want to tackle climate change, they want to prop up fossil fuels. They want to keep the way things are going, going as long as possible. And, you know, yes, I, I certainly hope that doesn't happen. Um, but I think the only way it doesn't is if people stand up, they rise up, they vote for people who want to take action. But, you know, in in the current world, the, the government of the U.S. is going to ask business to do more, right? And um, and that's a good thing. I think the U.S. companies have have suffered when they've been not pushed to raise mm. standards like auto companies to raise their fuel efficiency. It's better for them to compete with the rest of the world to hit higher standards. Um, it's better when the government is pushing for more renewable energy. So we get better at it, lower the costs and on and on. So, you know, I hope we maintain that pressure, but it's, it could, it could come and go, you know, like, like politics, 
Yeah. And the rest of the world, of course, um, is just progressing as well at their own uh, their own pace here in, yeah. in Thailand and Southeast Asia as well. Um, your your book, your writing has been translated in many languages. I'm sure you've you've seen and observed yeah. um how the reactions have been towards your concept of net positive throughout the world. Um, how have you seen the re- how has the reaction been? Uh, how do you think we can convince organizations in Thailand and Southeast Asia to move towards uh, being more net positive? Yeah. So you actually, if you can see over my shoulder on the bookshelf, you can see there's a Japanese and Chinese version of my last book, The Big Pivot. And we'll have about 10 or 12 languages this year um, of net positive and and probably more. Look, I, I, you know, I can't say I'm an expert on, on, the cultures and, and business communities in, in what are very different countries, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. often in the US or the West, you just say Asia as if it's one. Korea is some resistance to the ESG pressure. You know, I've heard repeatedly um, companies say it feels like it's coming from the West. You know, it's just something they're demanding or the investors from Europe and the US are demanding. And I get that. Um, mm-hmm. I try to encourage companies to, to, to think about the pressures that are building are not coming from a specific customer, you know, or a specific bank or investor. They're coming from the world, from the, mm-hmm. like literally the natural world. We're trying to hit these thresholds with climate and from just societal needs to reduce inequality, to reduce suffering. It isn't, it isn't driven by a given company or government. It's driven by the problems. And that's the way I think to, to bring it into any culture is to say, don't we want to solve these problems? for ourselves and and for everyone. Um, I've also found often that in some cultures, setting a big goal without knowing exactly how to get there is tough emotionally and culturally. Like there's there's some cultures, both I think globally and even just types of companies like engineering types companies, they mm-hmm. want the exact numbers, right? They want yeah. to know exactly yeah, yeah. how to they get need there. To know. And we yeah. can't do that. We can't do that now. We have to, we have to hit these, we have to hit these goals based on what the world needs. And and that's that's very difficult. So look, I think if you if you take it out of the context of coming from one, it's coming from one place or not, and just say this is what the world needs, um, and in a way bring it down to the local level, like what is climate change doing to Thailand? I can't tell you, but I'm sure it's something, <laughs> right? Hayes, I'll tell you, Hayes, Hayes. We are I never in my lifetime for the past few years we've seen Hayes. I would think that we would see something like what we see in the TV screens, you know, in China. Yeah. But when the cities do. are getting hotter, everything's yeah. getting hotter, right? And yeah. that makes makes it harder to live, harder to work yeah. outside. I'm sure you get hit by bigger, stronger typhoons or or storms, floods. You know, there's there's all of it, and it it is a local problem as much as it is global. Yeah, a lot of us. Uh, last last issue then, uh, of course, is how. Uh, more, yeah. more about like, you know, your last comments on on those companies or, or leaders or, or people in business who might be listening to this podcast and how can they get started on the road yeah. towards net positive? You said um, set a, a goal, right, without yeah. possibly knowing how to do it. Um, what should they do? And yeah. what is your vision for you know, sustainability in the year to come? Yeah, so we have um, the book itself is is structured as a how-to. So there's a lot in there about how do you do this? So the easy answer is to get the book. I, I hope that <laughs> yeah. people will. And there's, it, it, the people are buying it all over the world, you know, right now in, um, in English or in the audio book in English until there's translations, but it's selling everywhere. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of obviously English speaking people in business across the world. Um, 
But the starting point, you know, we have on our, there's a website for the book called netpositive.world. And we have on there what we call a readiness assessment. It's just 25 mm -hmm. questions to kind of stop and think about. And the first four or five are really the starting point. And some companies kind of are already there and can answer these questions, but they're things like, do I know or understand the world's megatrends like climate and inequality and how they impact my business? Do I understand how my business impacts them? Do I know my suppliers and customers, like the whole value chain? How, what's the footprint of it? Do I know that? Do I know what my stakeholders expect? You know, what do my customers and employees want from me from today and tomorrow? So it's, it's about getting kind of basic information together. And then you'll have a better sense of where's our footprint? What things do we need to work on? And then you're better prepared to go create and work in some of these partnerships that we need. And that's kind of the next, the next level. Um, you know, and some companies, like I said, are already there. So I think that's part of this, the starting point as an organization, but individually, it, it, in a way it's again, starting with yourself, you know, asking, do you care? Do you care that there's, you know, hundreds of millions of people going to bed hungry every night that the climate is becoming destabilized and places will become unlivable. Um, low lying nations are in trouble, right? Low lying cities. How much do you care? And how do you cultivate more caring and empathy? How do you cultivate more courage? Um, and I think some of that comes from collective courage, doing things with others, doing it together, putting it out there that this is what I want to do. I want to have more purpose in my business and seeing how many people arrive at your door ready, ready to do the same thing. I mean, I'm very inspired by, you know, Gen Z in particular, young millennials like yourself. You know, there's more of a mission in their thinking, in the in what they're looking for in work, right? They want meaning and values. And I think that's possibly going to save us. Andrew, thank you for that. I, I, I'm serious. Uh, you know, our talk has been a very down to earth. Uh, it's, it's not something lofty that, you know, a concept that you can't touch. It's, it's definitely something that I feel that we, I myself have found very useful and, and very practical. Um, and it's something that innately is in all of us, you know, you're right. You know, we all want to have something positive come out of our lives. This is why humans are the way we are or else we're just depressed. We just sit yeah. in the couch <laughs> on the true. couch all it's day long. True. <laughs> we want, we want meaning that's been proven many times, right? It's not, we're not just competitive. We don't just want stuff. We do. Yeah. Everyone wants stuff, but we mm. also want meaning and connection. Yeah. Um, and that's part of what's the pandemic has shown, right? We're all, it's exhausting to be so disconnected, right? To be yeah. zoom is good. It's been better than we thought it would be, but it's not the same. Right. As, as yeah. seeing your loved ones in person or even colleagues and friends. And so I'm hoping we can all, you know, come out of this in the next year. You know, Andrew, Andrew, we want you to come to Thailand as well. And we hope I, to see I, you on yeah. our Jigsaw stage. <laughs> that would be that would be great someday. I would love to get there. I would love Thank to. Thank you so much for our time. Thank here. you. That's Andrew Winston, the manager of Winston Eco Strategies, LLC. Of course, you can check him out as well as the concept of net positive approach and, you know, get his book. And hopefully we'll have more translations to come. Thank you so much, Andrew. Kapun Ka. Sauce, sparking innovative thoughts.